does it mean to be called to the teaching profession? And how can we sustain that passion when things get hard? Today on the show, I'm in conversation with Margaret from My Call to Teach. I'm your host, Celeste Kirsch, and we are teaching tomorrow. Oh, I really love this conversation with Margaret. I initially wanted to have her on to talk about a news article writing unit she does with her students that I noticed on Instagram. But as I started to research her, I came to realize that Margaret has a powerful story that I think all of us in this profession can learn something from. She started out in the corporate world, realized that teaching was her calling, so went back to school to become an elementary teacher. Pretty soon, Margaret noticed a gap in the resources available to teachers in Ontario, and so started to sell her resources to other teachers. We get more into her story in the interview, but this conversation serves as fantastic insight into how teachers can find their passion in the profession, lead from the middle, and how serving other people can be a restorative form of self-care. This conversation is coming out in June, so all teachers listening are likely needing some easy things to do for the final days with their students. Stick around to the end of the conversation when Margaret shares one idea that you will just have to say yes to. I'm so glad you're here today. Here's my conversation with Margaret from My Call to Teach. Margaret, rumor has it that this is your first ever podcast interview. So a big warm welcome to the Teaching Tomorrow podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Uh, thank you. I'm kind of nervous. It's the first time ever I've done this, but really excited as well. Thanks for having me, Celeste. Well, I've been following you for a while on Instagram and you're one of my new favorite people that I've been, I don't know if internet stalking is appropriate, but I'll go with that <laughs> right now. I just get this like relentlessly positive, hopeful, cheerful vibe. And I have to start, is that legitimately you or is that the Instagram glow on things? You know what, Instagram, social media, we put what we want to put. I can honestly say though, this is my second career. I absolutely love what I do. I'm so grateful. I feel really blessed to be able to do what I love to do. There are ups and there are downs, but to be honest, it is just being a teacher has been so fulfilling. Mm. Um, and I leave it at that. It's so fulfilling. And it's it's interesting because of course we curate ourselves online and we, you know, put our professional selves out there. But I really can tell from the way that you are presenting yourself that this is your calling like your business is my call to teach and your passion your enthusiasm I think is so needed right now in our profession like there was like some really dark days where things were just hard and I remember reading some of your posts you're just like you got this and I'm like do we do I but then like reading and I was like okay she says I got this so I got this this is great I just wanted to start by saying like thank you for being a positive presence in this profession right now Thank you so much. And I think what's really great about the online community is that, you know, that, that's how you build the community. Yes. We can share in our wins, we can share in our losses, we can share in the truths, like the real true talk of what's going on in the classroom. Um, and I think when we are able to put that all out there, it's important for everyone to see, you know, like the all the aspects of teaching. Um, it's really important. 
I want to jump into that because when I was doing some research for our conversation, I was really intrigued that you wrote about yourself, that you see yourself as naturally shy and that you prefer to not talk in groups. And yet, you know, you've got this like really (laughs) powerful presence on social media. That's so interesting because I am like, if those who are closest around me know that I prefer not to talk unless you're really close. Like I do like the one-on-one conversations. What's really interesting though, is just I feel like, like you said, if you are called to do something, it really brings out things in you that you don't realize that you have. Mm. And that for me is just everything else. Like the passion just comes out in different ways. And when I'm in front of my students or if, you know, especially in front of just on social media, like I just have so much, so many things I want to share. Um, And that just, it just like, it like just comes out in so many different creative ways that I kind of, not forget that I'm introverted, but there's just so many things I want to share in so many different ways. So that's, that's how it comes out. (laughs) I love it. And, you know, as somebody who puts stuff on social media as well, I, I think that it is different because, you know, like you're recording a reel by yourself, you're writing the text, like in a kind of solitary moment, it is different than presenting in front of like a room of people. Tell me a little bit about starting your business. You mentioned that you were in the business sector before you transitioned into the classroom. How did you begin my call to teach? Did you just like wake up one morning and think like, I really want to be creating resources for teachers. Was it a gradual process? Like, how did you get going with that? Oh, so that is like story time in itself. Yes, let's go there. (laughs) uh, I started my business almost two years ago. So it was August, 2020. Um, in summer of 2020, the Ontario government had released a new math curriculum. So they came out with no resources for teachers. Mm. And so that's when I made my own. Um, I started creating resources based on the new curriculum in digital and editable format, which would prove actually to be so useful in Ontario because we know we entered another lockdown the next school year. And because, you know, I was making it for my classroom, I figured, well, how about I try to sell this? I feel like I can't be the only one who wants, Mm. who needs this stuff, right? So thanks to like pretty much first mover advantage, because it just came out, um, I established my position in the market. So now what I create my business, I create a complete solution that provides educators with no prep material to teach and assess all while engaging students in real life math problems. So it's covering Mm -hmm. all the curriculum expectations. Um, My business has boomed and it's only begun. Um, And this is just with selling resources. I have so many ideas and it's just been such an exciting ride so far. Most of the stuff I've noticed that you have for sale are related to STEM and math, which makes sense, as you said, like it was kind of addressing this need, this niche in the market that like people Mm -hmm. needed these things. Do you have plans? Maybe it's too early to say this, but do you like you teach all subjects? So do you have like thoughts Correct. about branching out into other subject areas? I'm sure people have been bugging you about this for a while. They have. I actually do. If you do follow me on social media, I might call to teach either Instagram, Facebook or TikTok. I do post a lot of free stuff. So that touches upon all the different like subjects, social studies, science, language as well. Um, I'm in the works of trying to see where else I can branch out of, but that just like, you know, how I plan my business is that it does require a lot of strategy. I don't, and I've mentioned it to my audience is that I don't sell resources. I sell my brand. I sell Mm. solutions. So I don't Mm. want this to be a one-off. 
Um, when If I put something out on sale, it is truly the best work that I can possibly put out. I put it out with integrity and I wanna make sure that everything that I put out, because I'm also a teacher as well, front lines teaching, I wanna make sure that it really is a solution. Like it's not a one-off. When you come to me, you I come with solutions right back at you. I feel like I'm talking to like a business guru. Like obviously <laughs> your training in the business world is so helpful. Like when you were in like, the dog days of corporate Margaret, whatever that looked like for you. I'm picturing you in like a business suit at like a gray, you know, cubicle. Did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Did you see yourself as like, I don't know, an edupreneur? Did you see this for yourself? You know what? I always, I always wanted to be a teacher, but I, I also wanted the work experience, which is why I went into business and which is why I worked. It was near, I was working, it was about my third year. I wanted to, I feel, I felt like, you know, when's a good time to go back to school? Pretty much never. So <laughs> I took the hit and went to school. I got hired right away, right after grad, right after graduating from teacher's college. And those first years, because my kids were young, I didn't think of anything like starting mm-hmm. a business just because you know, when kids are young, like, you're just physically drained, right? Or just the first five years of teaching in general. It's just trying to keep yeah. your head above water. Exactly. And then after that, and it was really like, when the math curriculum came out, I had been creating stuff from the beginning anyways, but Mm. it was really when the math curriculum came out, I saw that need. And I really jumped on that need. um, And it just blossomed into something Mm. great. (laughs) But kind of like a beautiful, I don't want to say accident, but a beautiful opportunity kind of landed and like exactly your skills in one area kind of combined with your passion in another area. It's like the best of both worlds for you. Yeah, for sure. I totally believe, you know, things happen for a reason and this happened for a reason. I'm so curious about the business side of things, because I think that there's a lot of teachers who are creating resources, putting products out there on teachers, pay teachers or whatever platforms they're in. But you actually have like business knowledge. And even just hearing you talk about your products, I'm like, you are a business person. You're not just a teacher. And you have this lens on that I don't think many teachers have. What advice do you think you could offer people as like the business person that you've trained to be? Yeah, that's a great question because it's like, you know, when I started off, I had these products. I was also probably doing the same thing that other teachers were doing, like literally Googling, how do I sell on Teachers Pay Teachers? Or how much can I make on, or how do I start on TBT? Um, But because I have launched actual products before in my previous life, and I had mentioned this before also in social media on to my followers is that first, what's really important is you have to find something or whatever you're creating or whatever you're offering. I really believe it has to be something that you believe in, mm-hmm. um, something that you love, because if you don't believe in it, if you don't love it, you're not going to be able to continue that momentum. So for me, you know, right down to the core of it, the first product that I put out was math. I do love math. Um, and I feel like I could talk about it for days in many different ways. Um, and I have a lot of ideas. So those ideas never stop coming, which is why I keep on creating new resources and new solutions. So that's the first thing I would say is whatever you're doing, make sure whether it's a product or a service, make sure it is something that you love because the market is constantly changing and you always have to reinvent yourself, whatever it is that you're coming out with. The second part, I know this is very vague, but also really important is that um, 
put yourself in the, the shoe of your consumer, your customer. Mm-hmm. So I think it is much more easier for me because I am the creator and also the customer because I use everything that I put in my yeah. store. So I want to make sure I actually use it for my students. My students can give me feedback and I take that feedback and I change it right there. So if you are able to do that, really put your head and mind and space into the the shoes and the head of the consumer that really helps. And it goes for everything, not just the product and the service itself, but for pricing, where to look for it, marketing, all that, that really goes a long way. And yeah, so that would be the two things. It was really do something that you love and really put yourself into the mind of the consumer. I mean, and that's great advice for teaching in general as well. I think like find Mm -hmm. something that you can be excited about that gets you, gets your inner nerd fired up and then constantly put yourself in the shoes of your students and get feedback from them and tweak as you are designing. Like, I think those are like just great universal principles for all teachers everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. What was it like when you put your very first thing for sale online? Like, were (laughs) you like putting it up and like watching things happen? Did you kind of put it up and forget about it? Like, I'm really curious about that first moment of hitting publish. Oh, I was totally like checking it every second. <laughs> I had really no idea what I was doing in a sense of like, I felt like I had, I had a resource that I would use personally in my own class. I didn't really know what to price it as. And to be honest, the art of pricing is really, I had mentioned, it's like Pandora's box. Yeah. Um, because personally, you know, when I, I purchased things on TPT um, or whatever teaching resources, there have been times when I bought things and I was like, that's not worth it. Like I could have made that myself. I didn't want to be that person. I want to make sure that, yeah, whatever people buy from me, it's like, that was totally worth it. I want to buy the next one. So when I launched my first one, it, it was very different. I must say from what my solutions are now. I remember it was, I don't remember maybe 20 slides. I priced it at $5 and it started to go. And I just remember getting the emails and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like this is real. People want it. <laughs> and then as the year goes on, because I'm actually currently using it, because it's the first year the math curriculum is being implemented, um, you know, I get feedback from my students. And then I got feedbacks from the customers themselves mm. saying, like, you know, can you add this? And I'd be like, Yeah, I need to add that because I need that myself. And then I would tweak it as we go. And that continues on today. That's actually really cool because in another version of you creating resources, it would just be your own students that would give you feedback on it. And this way you're actually, you know, connecting to, I'm going to guess like hundreds of students and hundreds of classes. Yeah, yeah. And so all those teachers, whoever chooses to give you feedback, just creates better resources for your students too. It's kind of like a really cool feedback loop, like money and like business aside, just from a learning perspective, that's neat. That's really cool. Exactly. Yeah, it is. You know, when when companies talk about it, it, it's true buy-in. Like we are buying in from the people who are using it. It is straight to front lines, to the teachers, to the students so that they can give me the feedback so I can change it accordingly to meet their needs. I think that's really important. Yeah, it's interesting, like this kind of absence that was created by the government not providing any resources, that vacuum, it's actually quite a empowering thing to have teachers like you say, I can step up and I can fill this need. Like, I don't know how you have the time, which I want to get into in a moment, but for teachers like you that see that ability, like I can address this, it actually creates such an amazing opportunity to like develop 
leaders in these fields. Like, you know, in another, in another realm, like 30 years ago, we wouldn't really have this opportunity. It's kind of cool. Yeah. I think, you know, that's one of the great things when, whether it's TPT or whatever platform it is, when it's resources created by teachers for teachers, Mm -hmm. when you really put it like that, there is so much more in that sense, you know, as a teacher myself, that kind of like trust, like, okay, I can use this because hopefully this person has used it in a classroom and I can read the reviews that actually works in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Like that's what we need, right? As teachers, we don't have time necessarily to go through a textbook um, sometimes we just need something that is right there that has proof to work and that we can implement in our class and we know that it will be engaging and fun and of course at the core of it make sure it covers the curriculum that needs to be covered. And whereas something created by a textbook company it's harder to get that feedback to the people that are creating it and to get a response whereas I imagine somebody buys your slides from you for five dollars you then can answer their questions more directly and they have a bigger say in how that product is being used. They can say, actually, this would be better for my students. And you can iterate on what you've created. Whereas the big monolithic companies that, you know, maybe they're consulting with teachers, maybe they're not, maybe they're working with researchers, maybe they're not, that you are actually able to be so much more responsive. And that I think is so important. I think that's it. Like, it's just the timeliness. I mean, textbook companies are, yes, they are supposed to be um, consulting with the teachers, but because I'm frontline right there, you send me an email, I take that into consideration. Yeah. Um, it's the timeliness of it that is that is especially really important in this day and age right now, especially with all the needs that need to be met. Yeah, the timeliness is so important. When you were a young person in school growing up, did you know, I want to be a teacher? Like, when did you really get that this was your calling? Like you've sort of alluded to this, but I want to take you back into the moment where you're like, no, teaching is my jam. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Cause you always, you read about like people who are like, oh yeah, I used to play, play school when I was a kid. <laughs> and like, when I was, you know, in my room, I was that, I was that child too. I remember being young. I would go into my room. I would take attendance, like, (laughs) hello, didn't everyone do that? (laughs) I think we should do like a complete survey. Maybe I should start asking all of the people who come on the podcast. Like, did you play school as a child? Because if you're like Like a teacher nerd, are you here? (laughs) Yeah. Who are your students? Who did you take attendance for? Barbie, Teddy. I don't remember who, but (laughs) all those people. Oh my God. I loved playing school as a kid. It was literally the best ever. So little Margaret taking attendance for your Barbies. You loved it. It, And I think like it just, um, it stemmed from there. I've had inspirational teachers growing up, obviously, and they have inspired me. There's something about teaching that even while I was studying business, it's just like you realize the possibilities of what you can do with like as as a teacher but also with the background of education you you can't even imagine like there's Mm -hmm. just there's so many possibilities you don't necessarily have to be a teacher but with the background of education working with kids there's so much to do at the heart of it you know because I have worked I, I have worked in the corporate world it's just like nothing beats and I really do enjoy being in the presence of students mm. of children there's nothing, you know, nothing beats just yeah. their no filter their <laughs> ability to just sponge everything in. Um, it is great responsibility, obviously, as a teacher, but it's so refreshing sometimes just to be in that class and 
to hear them, like to hear the light bulbs go on, to be able to help them, to support them, for them to be able to teach me has been amazing. Like mm-hmm. children are just such wonderful human beings that like, I don't know, I'm just in awe. Like, I'm just, I'm so grateful, like I said before, to be able to do what I love to do and to be around kids is truly a blessing. I really do feel that. It really is a blessing. Like I think of it as a privilege to be able to witness yeah. young people in Such these moments. Word, yeah. And, you know, with my own children and when I was in the classroom, it like, I love your energy. I love the way that you're like talking about young people, because I think it's so easy to see young people as a problem or as difficult. And like, I don't know about you, but I've heard so many more adults have this kind of like kids these days, like the Mm -hmm. pandemic kids, like they're so different, but you don't have that energy about young people. Like you really honestly have this perspective that I think we all could use a little more of, which is awe and wonder. Thank you. Yeah. And you know, it's not to get me wrong. Like, obviously there are children that are challenging, but when you do, like you said, when you put that lens on of that, they, they're, they're children at the end of the day, they're children, right? Like if you take a look at their children, it really changes your perspective and your patience level really does rise because of that compassion that you have. Cause at the, you know, why are we teachers? Hopefully at the center of it, it's for the kids. Um, And when you take a look at it like that, it really opens your eyes in a different way. It gives you more energy. I imagine as well, like really that taking the empathy stance I think shifts things dramatically as adults. And we know we've all been going through something traumatic and children are no exception to that. Have there been moments in the last two years as a teacher where you've looked longingly at corporate Margaret and like, been like, wow, that was a really nice time where I could just eat my lunch quietly or whatever it was. Like, I'm not wondering that you would leave the profession because it's so clear that you're here and that this is something that's important to you. But did you ever have like nostalgic moments for corporate Margaret? You know what there, I don't, I wouldn't say that I nostalgic in the sense of like, Oh, imagine if I could go back to this. I, I don't want to go back. I think that's clear. Mm-hmm. There are moments there are definitely like, I would say teaching is not necessarily glamorous. When I was in marketing, that was definitely more glamorous. <laughs> but I think, like I said, the opportunity of becoming a teacher, it opens many doors. And with that being said, having starting my business, I've been able to take some of that business back. So that, that I don't say glamorous part, but like the glamorous <laughs> part in terms of like being on social media, being able now to work with brands and to, to incorporate that somehow into teaching, which is really like, the fun part of it is how to incorporate that into my teaching. I think I've been able to find right now some sort of combination of both in a sense that makes me love and even think of like, wow, how much more is there to explore? Like just Mm. like I said, the possibilities of teaching is endless. Like there's just so much that you can do. Yeah. There's so many ways to have a career in education and It sounds like you are taking on probably much more than, I don't even want to say typical teacher because that doesn't exist, but I'm imagining that your days are very full. Like I remember watching (laughs) one of your reels where you kind of like took us through like a day in the life. And I was like, yeah, that is a full on day. Like you 
do your teaching or time with your children in the morning and then teaching during the day and then get your kids like organized with like dinner and hangout time in bed. And then like you, then you work on your business at the end of the day when they're in bed. But I imagine that also gives you so much energy too. Do you find that in your day? It does. Like I do, I know I do take on a lot. It definitely helps that my kids are a bit older now. Um, but for me, and you know, I talked also about it before in social media, I am a planner. I do like to plan. <laughs> I do have my to-do list and talking with my therapist, like it does help for sure to have that to-do list. Yeah. You don't necessarily get it all done, which is fine, but as long as it's there, um, time management is really important. Like you said, you know, the time from getting home until bedtime, dinner time, like that, that's like a blackout period where I'm just not there. Like I need to I need to cook. I need to clean. I need to do all this stuff. Right. It's after the kids go to bed um, that I can focus on business. And there are days where, you know, I'm super focused and I can plow through many things. And there are days where I am in a slump and I can't think of any content or I can't think of anything in terms of creating resources. There are definitely those days as well that you need to respect. I think it also comes back to if you truly love what you're doing, you're, it's not going to really feel like work. Like to me, because I constantly just have ideas and I'll just put it in my phone there are just, there's always things to do. And there are always things that I love to do. And if it gets to the point where I don't want to do it, then I know I don't want to do that. And I should stop because Mm. I always feel like if you truly love what you do, and especially if you're on social media, the public will see right through it if you truly love it. And if you don't, anyway, if you're doing something that you don't necessarily believe in as much, um, it's going to shine through and it's not going to be authentic. So right now I really feel like I, love what I do. I have lots of ideas. And with time management, proper planning, I am able to hit the, my to-do list on the ones that I need that I need to do. <laughs> do you feel like your business, my call to teach, is a form of self-care for you? Yeah. You know, when you put it like that, it is my, it's almost like my me time. Yeah. Like when I'm planning. Yeah. Like the creating resources even just like creating reels or TikToks, like that's my fun time almost, right? Yeah. Like that's my winding down time that I can just sit and look on my phone and get ideas. Um, and it does, it, it really helps. Yeah, it's a really good way to think of it. Like that's my me time. It's so, but it's more than me time because you're serving other teachers. Like I think I've been thinking differently about self-care, you know, in the last two years of the pandemic. And like, yes, I love to like just watch Netflix and like chill at the end of the day. But I've noticed that there's something really different, a different energy that I get from doing something like making the podcast, which I don't make money from mm-hmm. it. It's just something that actually really fills my cup and really energizes me to get to talk to cool people like you, to get to put these conversations out there, see what kind of life of their own that they create. And it's a form of self-care, but it's in service to other people. And I, yes, like, I like when self-care isn't selfish, you know, like I like it when it's selfish too. Don't get me wrong. Like that's right. <laughs> yeah. But I wonder about, you know, teachers who are, maybe this will be like a study somebody does one day, like 20 years from now, whoever goes through the profession, having gone through this really traumatic stage of being a teacher are those the teachers that engaged in self-care that's about service, Uh not just about, you know, unplugging, which is also important, but I wonder about the efficacy of service-based self-care. 
that's so interesting. Yeah, when you put it that way. And I think, you know, as teachers of the core, but there's just, we're made in a way that it's like, it's also, there's part of us that just wants to share. Like, I know. And like, help. Teach. Like, come yeah, on. Yeah. Let me serve you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, me and you, we found something that has served multiple purposes in the sense of like, it helps us, but it has, has helped others. And we can see the fruits of our labor being able to help others. Yeah is like a full circle of like, yay, let's keep doing like, this is great. Like this gives us energy. This helps us be better people. It helps other people be better people. And it's like a circle that's like, it's a yay circle. That's a yay circle. Oh my God. (laughs) Can we make t-shirts and say the yay circle? (laughs) Oh my God. That'll be the name of your band. I am here for it. Um, The reason why I first like, I don't know what it was. I saw something about, maybe it was like a hashtag you used or like, it was the first thing I saved of yours. It was when you were talking about your students writing newspaper articles. And this is something that I am deeply obsessed with. It'll probably be the topic of my dissertation. I'm just really interested in young people engaging in journalistic writing in the classroom, not as an extracurricular, not as a school newspaper, but when their teachers are including it as their program. Can you talk to us about what you did with your students around writing newspaper articles, how they publish them? Like talk us through that whole process. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, there is the traditional, I guess, like activity where students write a news article, they print it out. I've done this myself many years ago, like maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, last year, I gave it a little of a facelift, I guess, to something more relevant, and we created a news website as a school, mm-hmm. like for our school. So there is still the core, you know, write an article expectation that's covered in terms of like, you know, ensuring the five W's, the H are met. Um, but to create a website was the layer that made it so much more relevant. So my teaching style that I have mentioned as well on social media includes a lot of modeling and gradual release Mm -hmm. so how I started teaching this was just started off taking parts of an article we we read a lot of news articles often too I use um New Zealand a lot as a resource I talk about it as well it is U.S. but I just find that they have great um articles that you can filter down in different reading levels Mm -hmm. so we do this anyways we would read and summarize current events articles and it lets students practice writing things in their own words which is really important since I teach the grade five six level also teaches, you know, just reading articles, reading comprehension, that's really important. Um, it allows students, you know, the more articles we read to be accustomed to the language, the mm-hmm. different format that is used. Um, so when we continue to read all these, it, this was in the second half of the term that we did the news article. Um, then we start studying the parts of an article, headline, byline, et cetera, caption. I give an example by writing an article together as a class. So there's oh, I the modeling. Love that. Oh my God. So and good. I think it's so important, right, to model in front of them because they want to see like how do I miss how do I get what's a level four? What does a level four look like? So if we can yeah. do it together as a class and show them, that's what I want to show them. We always start off with brainstorming, planning the whole process right up into the final draft. And then after that, after you know we've done lots of repetition, we've done the modeling. And that's when I do the gradual release and they start creating their own. So in terms of creating their newspaper, sorry, in terms of creating their website article, um, how we did it logistically was I shared a Google sheet for students to sign up on a topic. So that way we we don't have like eight articles on sports or fashion. So everyone covers, (laughs) you know, different topics. Um, I actually had two student volunteers that they volunteered to put it together on a Google site. Um, And so we had a logo, we had a template and we went from there. And you know what, like, 
students surprise you. They really do. Students can be resourceful when they want to be resourceful. <laughs> like I basically yes. told them like a quick, you know, tutorial of how to use a Google site and they just took it from there. Mm-hmm. And so the students handed in their articles based on a template that we all drew up together as a class. They made their own logo that we voted together. Oh, cool. um, and then I sent them out to the two kids who wanted to put it together and they did it. Um, <laughs> we published it. We sent it out to the school community, to the parent community, like the entire school community. Um, and it was great to see them, you know, from real creation, innovation, research to final product that was showcased. I think that's really important mm-hmm. to showcase student work, not just to our class, but in this yeah. case, it was to the school community because it was for articles that was relevant to the school community. Yeah. Um, and so it made it so much more personal and just fun, you know, in a sense that it really was culminating in a sense, but also meaningful and exciting for them to do. I love when student writing has an audience other than the teacher. Like, I think that that yes. really just ups the ante for students putting their best work forward yes. or caring more about the revision process. Like that really matters. That really is needed in our classrooms. Yes. You touch on really good points of like, when they know that someone else is going to read it, they somehow are more intrinsically motivated to make sure that they put out their best work. But it's also, you know, we live in a world where it's like fast and quick and everything. Um, Sometimes students, they do just hand it in and that's it. But when they know, oh my goodness, this is going to be shown to so many people, they take that extra time to really proofread their work. And I think that is a really important skill for students to have and like read over, proofread, not once, not twice, three, four, five times if you need to. And if you can, because what you put out there and same with, you know, when we talk about my business, I put out my best work. You want to put out your best work. Why? Because you want to show people, yes, you are capable. I know they're capable of doing it. So please put out your best work. And when they know that, like amazing things can happen. And we got such great feedback from the school community, you know, like from parents, from teachers, from principal, like, wow, this is awesome. Mm, You guys wrote this. I love that. Yeah, and it's so lovely to hear that when the students can see it, not coming from me, because I talk in front of them all the time, but like to see it come from other people for them saying like, you did a great job. It means so much more. Yeah, it really does. I want to go back to them choosing their articles because I have found this such a tricky initial stage. Like everything you're saying about like modeling and reading other people's work, like, yes, yes, yes. And I think that seems like a very intuitive lead up. But the moment that they're choosing their own articles, how did you scaffold that? Like, did you give them like lists of things that could possibly be interesting or did you kind of let it be a free for all? Did you give them like loose parameters of like has to relate to the school, has to be newsworthy? Like, tell me about the like jump from modeling, watching, observing to choosing your own topic. Cause I find that so hard. Yeah, I think, you know what, as a teacher, it definitely, it does come with experience because as a teacher, children are children, they need that guidance. And as a teacher, you want to, guide them to 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 whatever the end product you want it to be but also in the same sense with as with all psychology you want the end receiver to make it feel like they came up with that idea themselves because then they'll feel more like motivated to actually do it right so how I did it was I did we went through like sort of example turn a star or Google mail mm. or whatever it is we went through the headaches and we looked at the class like oh what headings do they have and we wrote it down on the on the board 
And then so those were the main headings we had. There were definitely headings that the you know, kids will think of their own headings that we, we put up as well. Oh, like so section headings, those, like life or yes, yes. sports or entertainment. Yeah. Got it. Entertainment. Yeah. yeah. Fashion, et cetera, weather, whatever it is. Um, we put that up. And so when I had that heading and that, you know, scaffolded them for them to give mm. them some sort of direction of what to do. I also gave them ideas. I was like, Hey, we could interview, like who do you want to interview? We could interview sports. We could interview divisions. And then that's when when you start having the conversation, it snowballs into, oh, my brother is in primary. I could interview the teacher because he yeah. knows the teacher. And then I could interview my brother and then I could take pictures of their stuff. And I'm like, yeah, like here's, this is where we're going. So when you give them, you know, as a teacher, I obviously had in mind the headings of, of news articles. Once you kind of give them that, give them that support and give them that idea they will naturally, with some guidance, with the correct, with answers, sorry, with questions, with kind of leading questions, they will come to the answers themselves in totally. a way that makes sense to them. And as a teacher, you, you, you know where you want to end them up. So mm-hmm. it's not like, like, I, I want to be clear for people listening, like, it's not you like manipulating them to like the end result. It's like you having no, no. guardrails towards yeah. like the path that will be the most productive for their learning. Like, am I understanding that right? Yes, exactly. You know, we as teachers, I always, this is how I plan, you know, I have the end in mind, I know what the curriculum expectations are. So as long as I'm touching upon them, how the kids get there with my guidance, if they can get there with their own ideas, intrinsically motivated, that's even better. But yes, always, you know, personally, me, I do have the end in mind when I when I am planning my lessons. We're most of the children doing their research for the articles, did you have to have them or did you require them to have any like primary sources in that? Because that's such a like tricky thing, like where they get their information from. Like, were they looking online? Were they going and like interviewing people in the school community? Like, was it a combination? Did you have, um, you have to have like one book, one online source, one real person? Like, how did you get them to find their information? You know, I kept that pretty open because I knew that, uh, you know, I, I had 20 something kids who were writing an article. I know that some people will use primary secondary sources. Uh, we had a variety. So for example, we had students interview the principal. We had students interview different divisions. So primary, junior, intermediate, kindergarten. So those were your primary sources. Um, for the secondary sources, I had students, for example, write about mental health. Like Mm -hmm. they talked about tips on how to deal with stressful situations. So there I needed to make sure that they source things properly. So they would have, um, they would cite their sources obviously and making sure we had talked about what are reputable sources. And so that's a side lesson in itself so that we have covered previously before doing this news article. So in a sense of, you know, did they have parameters as long as they, told me if it was a primary source, they would obviously have to state that. And if it was a secondary source, yeah, they would have to state that too. Um, I tried to leave it as open up to them because it was a culminating, they would decide where to take their sources as long as it was reliable. Mm, that's so That's so important. Were you ever hesitant about publishing any of the writing? Like, I, I think publishing is such an important ingredient, as mm-hmm. I said before, but then there's like this kind of double-edged sword that sometimes we don't always talk about that 
some student writing isn't necessarily like Mm -hmm. quote unquote ready for Mm -hmm. an audience outside of the classroom. How did you navigate this? Did you give them kind of any um, expectations? Like it has to kind of meet these expectations for it to make it, or did you just publish everything and just let it kind of speak for itself? I do. I keep a rubric. So everything I give out, if it's assignment, I do have a rubric. So the kids have that in mind. Um, I think what's important and it does take a lot of time as the writing process, there should be several drafts. Mm-hmm. So I do take a look at their first drafts, second and second drafts, they switch with their peers. I think what's really important is the peer edit because that's when you really get, you know, those students who need that extra help. If they can read someone who has, let's say more of a level three, four writing, that's when they can get the ideas. What's even better is if it doesn't come from me, it comes from the peer. Mm-hmm. If the peer can say, oh, can you fix that? Um, it is more likely that the writing will be edited in a, in a, in a more productive way than it, when it comes from me. I did publish everything because, um, you know, it was a whole class opportunity. Um, and I think it was great in terms of involving the school, but also for the parents to see, because sometimes parents don't know like what are the different levels um, of writing and for them mm-hmm. to be able to see everything out to give that transparency, um, I think is great. With the kids, I do wanna note that kids, this is another reason why I love kids, is that they really do bring out the best and they love to cheer people on. Mm-hmm. Like they'll be like, oh, the article is so good. Did you read it? And I just honestly, you know, years that I've been teaching, um, when I, I see them celebrate each other's work, no matter what levels they're at, because they don't they don't see it right in the eyes of a teacher. They don't see it in terms of letter grades, or they don't see, they don't necessarily see it like how to mark it on a rubric. They just read it and say like, oh, it's good, it makes sense, cool. Like, yeah, you should read it, right? And that's something that's really important is is the showcasing part, making sure that you know all people are able to read other people's work. I think that in itself is a huge learning experience. Yeah, that can be a game changer for student learning, like that really, both the peer feedback and the reading the entire class product, like that can really shift things, which is why I think it's important that we dream up projects that have that ingredient. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it it takes a lot of time as you're alluding to, but it it is so (laughs) worth it. It's so worth it. I have one more question for you before we transition to the ticket out the door. This is going to be coming out when there's just a few more weeks left in this school year. Tell us about yes days for the last few weeks of school. I'm very curious. And I think that we all need some more yes days. Oh, I posted about that on last year. We had a yes day. To be honest, I got that idea from my son's teacher. I love it. it. So awesome. Um, I think it was a movie, right? Yes. Yes day. I've never seen um, it. Is so, it a movie? That's so cool. <laughs> it is on Netflix with Jennifer Garner. Um, and so last year when we were all online, um, I gave a yes day to my students, basically saying that what they can request something. Each student got a request and my answer would be yes, because it oh was God. a yes day. <laughs> there, were, there were parameters to it. Like I put out, you know, safety rules that can't involve mm-hmm you know, anything that is dangerous, obviously. Um, And last year, I must say it was really, it was such 
a phenomenon to be online on and off for almost two years. Mm-hmm. I, th- I honestly thought I would get 28 movies. I got one movie request mm. out of that's 28, which is mind blowing. The things that I got were things like, can we play games online together as a class? Oh. It, I did not have anyone who said, can we just go offline for half an hour? Like basically wow. no one wanted to leave. Um, it was that community that students were yearning for, like, especially online. I had the funniest, most sweet and heartwarming one. One student asked me, Miss, um, my request is, can we all put on our, like, fanciest clothes and can we have a fashion show and can we show our outfit of the day? Oh, my God, I love that. (laughs) It was the cutest thing. I said, okay. We have two minutes on your marks, get set, go. Everyone just piled on like whatever dresses they had. And it was absolutely ridiculous and so sweet. Um, and then we, we, we did have one movie. We had lots of games. We had show and tell. It was just like, mm-hmm. I just want show and tell. And it was like, yes, we can have show and yes. tell. Um, and so that was the yes day that kids, you know, sometimes they just want to hear yes with their most creative mundane like whatever requests that they have and um when we start to go through them kids are just like I said they surprise you they were respectful they Mm -hmm. followed the parameters and at the end of the day I know I I I think you know because I I see my past students they still say like you remember mystic and I'm like yes (laughs) yes yes I I do (laughs) (laughs) so that's what we did I think that was the second last day of school we did It's also just a really cool way to see more about your students. Like I can imagine that, you know, even though it's the last couple of days with them, you can actually, oh, that's what you want. Okay, cool. Or that's what's really meaningful to you. Love it. Like it just shows a different side of what's important to your students. Exactly. All right. Are we ready for the ticket out the door, Margaret? Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. Something you are grateful for right now. A warm house. Mm. My home. Yeah. First thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Check the time. Make sure I'm not late. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing you do before you go to bed. I say a prayer. Mm. What is the most recent TV show you binged and loved? You know what? I don't watch TV. <laughs> you know what? Before uh... I asked it, I'm like, you probably don't have time for TV, girl. <laughs> and okay. I... Yeah, I don't watch TV. Um, and to be honest, because I've also shared this before, I, I'm i still recovering from my second concussion. And so moving things on the screen, I actually, it's still, depending on the time of day, I, that's why I don't watch TV. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're actually probably much more productive because of that. What a <laughs> horrible reason that a concussion could actually be a silver lining, but yeah. Yeah. Pie or cake? Cake beach or mountains mountain spring or fall fall what would be your last meal on earth oh my goodness last meal is this like does it have to be healthy oh my gosh no (laughs) (laughs) um you know what last meal oh the best meal I had was in Japan (sighs) and it was a bowl of ramen It, it was like a restaurant like just it was like a hole somewhere um that wasn't even like on a street we just walked in there it was the most delicious bowl of ramen I've ever had and I have yet I can't duplicate that anywhere no Japanese food in Japan 
is something that oh, I still yeah. dream about. Like I literally, I've been to maybe that same hole in a wall ramen place and yeah, <laughs> it's very, very important food. Yeah. You are starting an educational podcast. Who would be your first three guests? Oh my goodness. Educational <laughs> podcast. Can I get someone famous? Yes, like, you, you are <laughs> Margaret. You can get everyone you want on this show. Three people. Um, okay, so I would say the first guest, I haven't thought of who yet, but it would be a child. Mm. Um, a child who would want to come on because that is really what we do it for, is for the children. So I would love to actually interview a child. Yeah. The second person that I would like to interview is I've been reading Brene Brown. So I think oh God, that yes. something from her, and I think it's really important as educators to bring out that love for self, especially for young people is so important because if you have that love for self, it builds that confidence to be able to do, just to be able to do so much more. Mm-hmm. And then the third person if she would agree, I, I think would be my mom. <laughs> oh, yay. Because I feel like she has been through a lot um, and she has so much knowledge to give. I mean, her and my dad, my parents, I should say, as a couple, they have raised me to become who I am. Whether it was challenging times, we've definitely had our challenging times, but also up moments. I think it's important in education to get that, you know, the parent, the parent view um, Mm. to get that buy-in. Those are amazing answers. And I hope that your parents are listening to this because they raised a pretty amazing human. Like you're pretty awesome. (laughs) Last question that I ask everybody for the last one for the ticket out the door is what is the future of learning? I think the future of learning is ever-changing. I think the future of change of learning is a lot of unlearning, I think mm. I should say. Mm. And I th- think that's so vague, but me learning the term of unlearning has been a learning in itself. <laughs> mm. I think there's a lot of changes that needs to be made, even currently of what I'm doing. You know, I look back on what I used to do maybe nine, 10 years ago, and there are things where I feel like, you know, I would have definitely done different. So the future of learning, I would, I wouldn't say accepting, but totally celebrating being able to unlearn Mm. and continuous improvement. Margaret, I am so grateful for the work that you're doing in education. You are such a gem. You are going that extra mile for the children, but also for the teachers. So just wanted to say thank you for this conversation. It really, really made my day. Thank you so much, Celeste. It was such a privilege to be on here. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. It's hard to believe, right, that this was Margaret's first ever podcast interview, but I promise you it will not be her last. You can find Margaret on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at my call to teach. That's all one word. You will not be disappointed with the content that she's putting out. Margaret is as inspiring, as enthusiastic, and as supportive as she was in this conversation on all of those platforms. 
And we're just about to wrap up this season of the Teaching Tomorrow podcast. After this one, we have two more episodes coming down the pipeline for you before I take a little break over the summer months to unplug my mic and give some time and space for dreaming up ideas for the next season. If you have a pitch for who we should have on for our next season, send me a message through Instagram at teaching underscore tomorrow or on Twitter at teach underscore tomorrow. I do actually read every message and your thoughts and feedback actively make this show better. So thank you for sending those in. That's all the time we have for today, folks. Keep building your yay circle. And remember, we are teaching tomorrow.